This is episode 39 of Alohomora for July 13th, 2013. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves. I am Eric Skull. I'm Laura Riley, and here today we have a special fan as our guest, Frederick Thorning. Hello. And uh, why don't you uh, tell everyone where you're from? Uh, I'm from uh, Denmark. It's a small country in Northern Europe. Big Harry Potter fan. Um... What's your house? I think uh, Pottermore sorted me into Slytherin, but I see myself as a Ravenclaw. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. I, I was kind of angry when Pottermore sorted me. Yeah, uh, you, you don't uh, think you fit in Slytherin really well. Well, uh, I think the part of uh, of pursuing your goals, uh, one of the Slytherin characteristics, I think I think that's cool. But um, the part of being uh, so arrogant, it's not really me. Uh, well, not that that's uh, well, most Slurins are, but not that it's uh, what Salazar uh, said it would be like in in the beginning, at least. I think. Yeah. Well, you can hold the banner for everything that's good for Slytherin. Yeah. <laughs> I can try to. It's hard. Yeah. I back in uh, back in two thousand ten, I uh, I met uh, J.K. Rowling at this uh, this show. And she, oh, sweet. yeah, and and we were all sorted into this these houses, and I was in Ravenclaw, and uh, then the question section came up, and all the Slytherins answered, and she said, "Why is it? Why is it all all the Slytherins who 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 ask the questions? Because they're the evil guys." <laughs> yeah, J.K. Rowling has been known, if I can say this, to just crap all over certain houses at certain times and push them into the the sections that she later says, "Oh, but not they're they're not all bad." Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a bit funny to watch her do that. Yeah. All right, so uh, I think we're gonna jump right into it. Um, we're going to read some of the comments from our previous week where we just started the first chapter of Goblet of Fire, which I am so super excited about because I love Goblet. So uh, last chapter was chapter one, The Riddle House, which was different in the sense that it's our first, cha- well, not the first chapter, but um, first chapter in a while that we've seen told from a different perspective and starting on a very different ominous note. So this first comment comes from Lumos Night 3, and it says... I think the bit with Frank calling Voldemort out on facing him like a man was a really interesting bit of foreshadowing to the graveyard scene because Voldemort basically does the same thing with Harry and Harry specifically thinks to himself, paraphrasing, I'm going to face him like a man like my dad. It's a nice foil there and I think it nicely shows that for Harry the idea of standing up and facing the challenge before him with honor is natural and one he wants wants and chooses to take on but for Voldemort he's more cowardly than he likes to acknowledge. I thought this was a good point because I know you guys talked to about a lot about um frank being part of the war or at least they were in the forums um that it is kind of like a nice foil of of how these two men um are willing to face voldemort face to face whereas voldemort doesn't really have a, a lot of honor yeah and he doesn't also have a much of a face right now either so <laughs> it was, it was this, this is true <laughs> <laughs> um yeah totally so speaking of him not having a face, uh, Silver Doe 25 said, So Voldemort needs Pettigrew to turn his chair around for him, but the minute he's got something more than a vapor for a body, he's making Nagini into a horcrux. I've always had some trouble with the timing of this horcrux here. That huh. is an excellent point, and I completely agree with Silver Doe here. We know from uh, a later interview with J.K. Rowling that you know certain, certain horcruxes were created, um, and in fact that... Voldemort continued to create them after his downfall, um, particularly with the murder of Frank Bryce. So it, it does raise the question, you know, about his strength, uh, especially when Pettigrew has to turn his own his own chair around. So it kind of brings that whole thing into question again. We don't get a lot of details as to the, the um, how what actually goes into making a horcrux besides killing people. I doubt it's like you kill someone and then you know they float into an object or whatever like their soul i imagine there's got to be something to it um and i doubt 
Voldemort can't really do magic at this point, I wouldn't think, but that much. I think that raises another question, too. Uh, f- f- how long can you use a murder after you killed uh, killed a man? I mean, can you use a mur- someone you killed 20 years ago to create a Horcrux? I really hmm. wonder if there needs to be some sort of preparation, like you must begin the ritual almost prior to the killing, it seems. I, it's, it really raises the question, too, because we know that Harry was an intended victim of you know creating Horcrux, which ends up being the extremely important to the plot of the books. But, I mean, that really alone questions how quickly the spell rebounded on Voldemort. At what That's point, true. At what point, you know, did it really rob him of the body if he was going to go in there and, and hold this huge ritual that we imagine is taking a long time? Right, that's true. The Horcrux was kind of instantaneously created with Harry. So, yeah, it's complicated stuff. Mm-hmm. But if he had done it in front of Pettigrew, too, wouldn't he have had to kill Pettigrew? Because Pettigrew would know his major secret. That's my real question with Pettigrew and, and Voldemort, and Voldemort making a Horcrux right here and now. He'd probably send him out to milk Nagini. <laughs> <laughs> While you were away, <laughs> I've created a... That's a good point. Okay, so this next comment comes from Lady Gimble, also on our forums. It says, One thing I noticed while reading was the fact that Voldemort is so common on Rushed. He states, I've waited 13 years, a few more months will make no difference. This shows how opposite he is from Sirius, who in Prisoner of Azkaban stated that he had waited 12 years to kill Peter, and he didn't want to wait much longer. Voldemort shows his strong sense of planning instead of being rash like Sirius. I love Sirius as much as the next person, but it is no wonder he got himself killed. Whoops. <laughs> harsh. I think that's a little harsh. Uh, I kind of have to disagree a little bit. I mean, not that Voldemort doesn't have a strong sense of planning, but the difference is, is that Sirius was waiting to, like, prove his innocence, and, like, that's kind of... He waited 12 years to, you know... It's like, oh, I can wait a little longer. Well, he's unfairly was waiting 12 years, whereas, like, Voldemort is waiting to kill somebody. Yeah, but Sirius is a rash person regardless, like... my boy. But... Uh, but I do think it is... Un- yeah, but Voldemort is immortal. Yeah, Voldemort... Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? If time is if time is uh, no matter to you because you're immortal, can you wait longer? Yeah, I mean, Voldemort does really have an incredible sense of patience, which I know there was always, like, a meme floating around the internet where it was like, oh, isn't it nice that, like, Voldemort waits till, like, the end of the, ca- the school calendar year to attack? Like, let's hurry. <laughs> <laughs> let's hurry to his studies and everything. But, uh... Yeah. He's a good guy. <laughs> he cares about education. Yeah. Uh, this comment comes from the head girl um, on the forums. It says, The discussion of the rich benefactor in regards to the Riddle House made me think about Skyfall, the Bond movie, where... Uh, when the caretaker tells Bond that the old house has been sold to foreign investors. It's possible that a rich foreign investor bought the Riddle House to establish residency in England because taxes are lower there than in their home country, or that someone bought the place as a historical landmark and is getting a tax break on keeping Frank on for the upkeep. I doubt it's one of the Death Eaters, since the only one we know who has means to buy such a house and not live in it is Lucius Malfoy, and we also know that he's not very careful with Voldemort's things. Yeah, so I, I'm just surprised by this discussion that more and more people are thinking it's not actually Voldemort who is the, quote, rich benefactor. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of was fairly unanimous on the forums of people just thinking that uh, Voldemort would not want to associate himself with, like, muggle money and everything, and they were making it seem like he had they had broken into it. But Okay, and uh, this last comment was an email we received from David Lister. So it says, I've just listened to the podcast for Chapter 1 on Goblet of Fire, and when you were talking about how Voldemort gamed his corporeal body, it set off alarm bells ringing. A bit of hunting around on the net turned up what I was looking for. When J.K. Rowling was interviewed on Pottercast in 2007, she was asked whether she would prov- she would ever provide the spell used to create a horcrux and gave the following answer. Right, so that's related to what we were saying before. Anyway. Quote, there are two things that I think are too horrible actually to go in detail about. One of them is how Pettigrew brought Voldemort back into a rudimentary body, because I told my editor what I thought happened there, and she looked as though she was going to vomit. So, the person goes on to say, I've always thought that I think... I've always thought and think that this was an idea also put forward on Pottercast by John No before being told it was horrible. 
that Voldemort, in his spirit form, possessed a pregnant woman and managed to take over the fetus before it was born. I just don't think that Voldemort could create a body out of nothing, not even one that weak. The notion of Nagini's venom and unicorn blood may be needed to maintain the hold over the body. Given time... Given time, then maybe the body would have grown, but I doubt Voldemort would have had the patience for that and suspect the potion would always be needed. We may never find the truth, but this theory has always been felt the most plausible to me, even if it is horrible. Horrible indeed. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish I could unthink that. I wish I could unlisten yeah. to that email. <laughs> and, right. and no, I, yeah, I wanted to include written. it because it's a very well-written email. But um, Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that J.K. Rowling had said that those are the two things, how we were just talking about the spell to create a horcrux, that mm. process, and this. Definitely. Dark magic at its darkest. Yeah. Well, we'll um, probably know in 37 years when the seventh book is released on Pottermore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe then Joe will have softened and, and decided to reveal it to everyone so that they can get on with their killing and trying to make horcruxes of their own. Oh, yeah. That was a joke. So, um, with no further ado, we'll get into some responses to last week's podcast question of the week. Uh, our question, just to reiterate, was why is Peter Pettigrew so set on Voldemort not choosing Harry for the spell? Or why suggest that he take another person? Why is Peter questioning Lord Voldemort on the death of Bertha Jorkins? Has his life debt to Harry somehow begun to change his heart? to make him look out for Harry in some way. Has Peter just suddenly developed a conscience? Or has Peter always been this way? So we got a few responses here. First one's from Elder Deb. They say, I do not think the life debt entered into this one tiny bit. Peter was grossed out by the care and feeding of Voldemort. He wanted this routine over and done with ASAP. Dragging out the whole process all year throughout the tournament was the last thing Pettigrew wanted. His arguments were purely selfish. I happen to agree with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty clear that Peter's like, hands off, don't want to deal with this filth. Hands off. Okay, next comment comes from Jess Fudd. They say, I think Peter's main concern is his own safety. I think he's more concerned with getting the most protection in the quickest way. I don't think he cares about Harry one way or other at this point. I think he's afraid that Sirius and Lupin, who are both smarter and stronger than he is, are after him. Also, I think Peter probably has about as much faith in himself as we do. He doesn't trust himself not to screw up and accidentally fail at taking care of Lord Voldemort. I think Peter's desire just to grab the nearest wizard off the street is about his desire for immediate protection and relief from responsibility, and not at all about Harry. As for the questions about Bertha Jorkins, again, I think he's just trying to stay as far under the radar as possible and hoping he can convince Voldemort to keep at a low profile as well. He is a fear-based rat-slash-man, and he acts as such. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense that, I mean, he, he wants to stay under the radar. Like, he knows now that he's pretty deep in the thick of things, so. Definitely. Third comment comes from Claire Whitehead. This is an abridged comment, uh, seeing as how we received many, many responses, and they were all very uh, in-depth. Sirius says that Peter was most concerned about being protected by the biggest kids on the playground. At Hogwarts, these protectors were most clearly James and Sirius, who carried influence, charm, and a fair bit of knowledge, all of which which was helpful to Peter during school. However, once the Marauders have left Hogwarts, they are no longer the biggest fish in the pond, and Peter turns to someone else who has more influence. Voldemort. Now, as to Peter's current situation in Goblet of Fire, he has now returned to be under the protection of the wizard who, despite his absence, is still intensely feared by the magical community. However, from Peter's standpoint, things are looking grim. There is an extremely elaborate plan to lay hands on and kill Harry Potter that would require massive amounts of luck to carry out. Peter is seeing all of the ways that this plan can be thwarted, and along with the loss of the plan, the loss of his protection. Peter then thinks about how to still get to the end without using Harry as the chosen means to that end. This is obviously much less risky and would probably guarantee that Peter had protection. Compassion for others has never been higher on his priority list than saving his own skin. At first opportunity to join a bigger, badder group, he does. All of these doubts that Peter is voicing are to ensure Peter's protection, not Harry's. So this is really, yeah, I mean, this is a really well thought out possibility. My only... Stipulation is, is Peter this smart to think that far ahead? 
we've discussed this a lot, um, particularly like back in Prisoner of Azkaban of uh, overestimating or underestimating uh, Peter and his own like abilities. And I've always been leaning on the side of what Caleb just said of not thinking he's actually that smart about things. Well, this comment doesn't really say he's smart at all. He's just reacting to protect himself. But this it's this would require a fair bit of foresight. Well, it just seems like a complicated plan that Voldemort's hashing, and and it, that could mean that Voldemort's going to go get himself killed because he's not being smart and just choosing somebody off the uh, street. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, I guess just like thinking through the comment, it almost seems like Peter is considering like all the chess moves in a game, but maybe it is a little more simpler than I'm making it out to be. Yeah, of mm. all the comments, like. The point I agree with most is that he could make this whole thing much simpler by just killing anybody, <laughs> like, in any, like, enemy. But he's, like, purposely making it difficult almost for, like, a poetic reason of it. And it's, yeah. He could, yeah. I think that's what Peter is just like, come on, let's let's take the easy way out here. And really, it's by, you know, Voldemort taking Harry, using Harry that leads to his downfall. So. Mm-hmm. Should have listened to Pettigrew. Yeah. Said nobody. For sure. <laughs> said, said nobody ever. <laughs> um, these comments have been sourced from our website, and they do not even make up 25% of all the comments that we got on the website. So I want to point everybody who's looking for a good discussion or to continue this discussion to the Alhamora website, uh, where we have a special um, topic post for podcast question of the week every week. And further discussion can be had on the forums. All right, so guys, if you head over to the Alohomora website, which has just been redesigned, make sure you check out the wonderful new design of the site. You can now purchase the Harry Potter ebooks and audiobooks directly on that website. And now you can get 10% off if you purchase the entire series, which of course you would want to do. Both are available in a variety of languages, German, Italian, Great Britain, and U.S. English for audiobooks, and Castellano, German, Great Britain, and U.S. English, French, Italian, Japanese for the ebooks. You can also buy ebook-only versions of Beetle the Bard, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and Quidditch Through the Ages, all the proceeds of which go to charity, Lumos, and Comic Relief. So again, head over to the Alohomora website, alohomora.mugglenet.com, and check out this great deal from Pottermore where you can get 10% off when you buy the entire series of Harry Potter. All right, so we're going to move into the chapter discussion for this week. Chapter 2. The Scar. Okay, so in Chapter 2, we are finally fully back with Harry's point of view after he wakes up at the end of Chapter 1. And he's reacting and slowly remembering this dream that takes place in the Riddle House. So the fact that he is there, there's a lot of interesting things about this react, this um, dream that he has. Whether, you know, is this a Horcrux connection that is the reason why he's experiencing it? And if so, why isn't he seeing it from Voldemort's point of view? That's a really um, interesting thing. I think it is like a Horcrux connection. Um because I think this is really the first time we're introduced to it. And Harry thinks it's a dream because obviously he's sleeping. But it's something that's happening. So it can't be a dream. Uh, but it's I think that is a good point that it's not from Voldemort's point of view. Um, I think maybe Rowling hadn't decided yet that that's where she want, how she wanted to do those things in the future. Right, because in the fifth book we show him sc- like score... Um disciplining his people but they're all from like his perspective or uh when harry um goes into the snake you know it's from the snake's perspective so that's interesting that this would not be i mean but yeah because we're seeing it from frank bryce's perspective or it's it's not actually though it's yeah it's not from anyone's perspective it's just he's like in the scene observing it's weird because yeah yeah, it is said that harry sees what's in the chair but also that there was an old man there and somebody, like, two people. Yeah, he, yeah, he identifies all the parties, even the guinea. If you look at chapter 13, I think it is, in, in this book, uh, the, ne- the dream he has in the divination class, uh, he sees it from the pers- perspective of an owl, which I think mm. is... Uh, it's the owl that delivers the message of Barty Crouch being dead. Oh, you're talking about, yeah, in this book. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, I in, about in that. Goblet of Fire, uh, in chapter thirteen, I think it is, and 
he flies through the window and delivers the, the letter to Voldemort. That owl is like the lost Horcrux. <laughs> so maybe before Rowling had decided from uh, Order of the Phoenix on that it would be from Voldemort's point of view, maybe she was just playing with the idea of having like this third person kind of omniscient guy like in the same way almost like of how they drop into the pensieve and look at everything uh, maybe it was something like that where is this kind of an unnamed source that's seeing everything and then this owl yeah darn frederick that's a good point with the owl because otherwise i was going to suggest that perhaps voldemort's soul isn't completely rooted in this body yet and so it's kind of got like an a uh, uh an out of body kind of vibe to it that would allow harry to see things from a position other than inside Voldemort's body because his body isn't completely developed yet. But I don't know how to answer about the owl. I also think in, in, uh, in Deathly Hallows, he does not only see the things from Voldemort's perspective, but he also sees what he's thinking about. Uh, he's, especially when uh, Voldemort constantly thinks about Grindelwald. Uh, he constantly sees Grindelwald's face when he when he tries to slip into Voldemort's mind. Yeah, I think what Eric, you sort of said this of um, the reason perhaps why this is the first time we're seeing Harry have these connections mentally is because Voldemort's got like a sort of body-ish thing going on, but then it becomes once Voldemort like comes into a full-bodied being, you know, then we get the insight into his mind and everything like that. Yeah, I found it interesting that the the dreams or the the scar hurting, which is also tied into Harry's dream that he's just had, he's not sure if the pain of his scar is in fact what woke him. Um, but why is the scar hurting again? Why is Harry having this dream that's actually a real time connection to Voldemort for the first time? Instead of why why isn't he why isn't that always been a thing? Why hasn't Harry always seen visions? You know, the first thirteen years of his life. Um, if Voldemort's going around, why is there this sudden maturation? Is it because this is the first time Voldemort has had a body? Or what's the relationship to that? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Because while we don't know what his deal was, Prisoner of Azkaban, but um, Chamber of Secrets, he was only a presence as like this memory and then Sorcerer's Stone. He what, didn't have a body of his own. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, Alright, so... Also, just on a more broad note, this is definitely the darkest story, darkest start for Harry's story yet. Um, it's we're to that point in the series where it really starts to pick up with each book, but it's definitely, I mean, Prisoner sort of like separates the first two books from the way they start, but this is definitely a completely different start, especially since it starts with this murderous act that doesn't even take place with Harry's point of view. Yeah, yeah, that's, right. It's a good point. And it's also, she still spends, Rowling still spends some time um, introducing the basics of Harry's story. But you really start to notice here it's it's less and less. And, you know, you're really starting to just, like, jump in um, a little bit more. But uh, it's, almost, it's, pretty, it's a pretty fair amount of recap. Like, these are my least favorite chapters, the ones that just recap. Like, and he goes to a school of Hogwarts and his best friend's Hermione. Yeah. Like, like, Back then, though, like, I feel like when the books were coming out, I, I, it didn't bother me at all because, like, you waited for, well, maybe not Goblet for me, but maybe for other people. But it really started with Order. Um, Order was the first book I had to, like, wait on to come out. Yeah, same. Um So, like, getting to, like, catch back up with the story was, was always really good. So I think that was a re- actually a really good move. Yeah, I think, I think reading them in session, like, the way we that we do without waiting makes these chapters seem more annoying than they were reading them the first time around, which could have been exciting. Like, oh, look, like Hermione mentioned, like back to it right. with these characters whereas now it's like yes like i know who these people are let's let's move forward <laughs> <laughs> very interesting mention of quidditch though because he's got that book flying with the cannons yeah um, so it, yeah i agree though there they, she kind of did condense it into maybe three or four pretty long paragraphs about mm-hmm. his surroundings but fortunately it comes into play for you know when harry has to decide who to write his letter to which comes later but uh she kind of worked it into the plot now just like she had before with him doing homework or whatever but this time it kind of catches you up in current events and explains that things this summer are a little bit better than they have been yeah and and just as you mentioned this is what harry starts to do next sort of how does he because he can't really like hold in everything that he just 
um, experienced with this with this dream. He's got to talk to someone about it. And the first people like he thinks about, well, he doesn't really consider, just thinks about are the Dursleys. And it's the quote from the text is, Harry had never been able to confide in them or tell them anything about his life in the wizarding world, talking there about the Dursleys. And it makes me almost wonder what it would have been like, you know, had there been like through these years, some like change with the Dursleys, had they start to, um, the relationship um, improve over the years, what it would have been like had Harry been able to talk to them about all of this going on in the wizarding world. Yeah, it's sad um, because I think the fact that Harry doesn't have these people in his life, um, well, I mean, he realizes he does at the end of the chapter, but it would have been really nice for Harry to be like, hi, like aunt and uncle, like I have a scary dream, but he can't. Yeah, it is It is a bit um, disconcerting that he's never been able to reach out to them for, for any situation like this, but... I wonder if he I wonder if he couldn't. You know, I really wonder if based on Petunia's actions where she basically in Deathly Hallows says to him that she knew the the dangers, she knew she kind of understands what it is that that he's going up against and there's that tender moment between them. I wonder if he really couldn't have told Petunia at this point in year 4 that he had had a a dream that involved a murder and to see what she would have said. Like I really wonder if she would have warm to him in at the very least a, a little bit um during that situation but the fact that she hadn't already kind of say states that you know no he probably well that's why he didn't reach out to her is because he didn't know that she knew anything about the situation yeah well, I think that, that she wouldn't have taken him seriously at this point not before Dudley is attacked in the next book mm. I think that changes her Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think she she wouldn't have believed that um, it would have been possible for him to come back. I don't think she'd have understood that magic. Would have just been like, no, like he's gone, like he killed my sister, and now he's gone as a result. Like, not not until it it hurts her little dedicans. Yeah, because she knows what we know later. She knows what Dementors are, and that's what gets Dudley. So that's when it becomes much more real for her. Like you said, good point. Yeah. So after he quickly shoves off the possibility of talking to the Dursleys about it, Harry slightly considers what would happen if he told Hermione and Ron about, um, now more it's about his scar hurting and not just the dream because, um, kind of glanced over that, but his, he wakes up and his, his scar is obviously hurting, which hasn't happened since he was very much near Voldemort. Um, but he writes off even the possibility of telling Hermione and Ron. He talks about Hermione would tell him to write Dumbledore and, of course, consult the book. Ron would tell the other Weasley uh, members of the Weasley family who would just worry. And it's almost like, it's almost like Harry's trying to think of an excuse not to tell all these people. Um, is, I mean, I know we're about to get to who he actually tells, but is he maybe being a little bit too stubborn here? Um, especially with not talking to Ron and Hermione about it. Well, no, because that is their reaction when he tells them a couple of days later. <laughs> this, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what they say. I think not telling Dumbledore was a mistake, but I think, yeah, Ron and Hermione, they're still, like, 14. They they have absolutely no knowledge of these cursed scars and everything or the importance of it. Like, yeah, they would have these reactions, like Frederick said, they do. Um, I think it's interesting that his his uh, quotes in his head that he makes up are almost, like, caricatures of their personalities, like, but... Yeah. It's, it's but seeing them, yeah, get paid off. I, I think, unfortunately, again, this is Harry without the relationships he's going to have in two, three years where he can tell Dumbledore anything. You know, he's got that secret where Dumbledore tells him he can confide with Hermione and Ron if he wants to. But Harry could just reach out to Dumbledore and be like, hey, this happened. And Dumbledore would, would be more the better for it and he'd be able to plan better. But, like, basically, it's a, book five is a crash course in that, you know, Harry, Dumbledore basically making a decision that the um, connection between them is too strong to just completely ignore Harry the entire year. Um, it's really tough and really rough, but Harry at this point can't reach out to Dumbledore because he doesn't yet quite... Dumbledore's never been like that warm to him. He's always been warm, but never been like, okay, if you ever have a problem with Lord Voldemort, you can talk to me. 
So it's, it's just true. one of the other ways that like Voldemort has failed young Harry, I think, right now at this point. If that may be too harsh, but I, I mm. think in general it should be known that it's in everybody's best interest in the, in the whole wizarding world if Dumbledore knows exactly what's going on with Harry. So I think Dumbledore should have been a little closer, a little bit more approachable, even in the summer months, for this sort of an issue. Yeah. But seeing as how it's a one-time occurrence, of course, Harry's able to ride it off, make it like it's not as important as it is. Yep. And a funny scene comes up as Harry sort of thinks more about the possibility of Dumbledore finding out if he was to ride Dumbledore. Um, as Harry pictures Dumbledore stretched down on a beach, quote, rubbing suntan lotion onto his long crooked nose, which is <laughs> just get really funny. What do you guys think Dumbledore is actually doing in his summer right now? Like, is he already working on his Horcrux hunt, or is that totally not in his mind yet? Hmm. If he's not on the hunt, he's, I would say he's more than likely researching or trying to, like, follow up on leads. Well, I, I don't think he's on the hunt because uh, he's he's not uh, convinced that Voldemort made Horcruxes until the end of the, of this year. Where, where Harry tells him what Voldemort said at the graveyard. Mm -hmm. But I think it's an interesting question. Where does Dumbledore live? Mm -hmm. I always assumed Hogwarts. Yeah, I feel like he lives there. That would be pretty lonely. During yeah, but the I mean, so do a lot of the teachers. McGonagall does. Do they? Homegirl. No, doesn't, wasn't that on Pottermore that she doesn't? Yeah. Wait, no, she does. I'm pretty confident she does. I remember her having... Oh, I don't know. I'm going to look it up. McGonagall and Dumbledore have movie night. <laughs> <laughs> they have to they have to undo a lot of magic to get the projectors um, to work. Let's see. <laughs> Packed her things after Elphinstone's funeral and returned to her sparse stone floored bedroom in Hogwarts Castle, accessible through a blah 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 blah. Always a very brave and private person, she pulled all her energies into her work, and few people except perhaps Albus Dumbledore ever realized how much she suffered. So yeah, it doesn't say anything otherwise, so I'm pretty confident she stays at Hogwarts. Oh, alright. Hmm. Bummer. She's good, though. She's, <laughs> she's, she's got it. So Harry finally realizes that the perfect person he needs to talk to about is his newly discovered godfather, who's roaming the world, wherever he might be. Um, and he, he talks about um, how he's still using the hollow threat of a dangerous murderer for a godfather on the Dursleys so that they leave him alone. And that's also the reason why he still has all of his magical stuff up in his room instead of locked away. Do, do we think that, like, stepping away for a little bit, that our protagonist abuses this too much? Is this sly a little bit too cruel on the Dursleys? <laughs> Even for the well, Dursleys, is this too much? Well, imagine what, what, what they did to Harry the last uh, 14 years. True, I mean, but... Man, what does that say about Harry if he's using it just as a, a way to get back? He needs well, to get back? I don't know. I, I think he he sees it as a, as a necessity to be able to do his homework. So, mm. Well, I see it like he, I mean, to my knowledge, didn't outright say, like, I'm going to have my murderer godfather come and murder you. He's kind of just letting them draw their own conclusions from what I've gathered of being like, oh, yeah, whatever his quote is at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, where he's like, yeah, like, we like to keep in touch. He's a mass murderer. It's fine. So they're they're <laughs> like... And they had already known about Sirius Black from the Muggle News. So, like, I th think they can draw their own conclusions. And Harry's just re uh, refraining from saying more details. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess you just have to see it as a means to an end because now he's able to have his school stuff with him. Uh, and and to do these these things, unfortunately, like is it a little uh, cruel? Maybe you could argue, though, as Frederick did, that you know the Dursleys were way crueler to him throughout the years. But it is a live omission. I mean, he he is kind of feeding off their fear. Um, but ultimately, it's not for some great malintent. It's just so he can have his books in his room. A little bit yeah. of malintent, but it's fine. <laughs> I also think in, in this session, section, there's a wonderful uh, mistake with time. Uh, because, uh, exact quote, he had only found out that Sirius was his godfather two months ago. Well, that's wrong, because he knew that since uh, Christmas at the, th the Three Broomsticks, and that's eight months, eight months oh. before this. 
two months ago is where he found out that Sirius didn't want to. Well, as Starkid puts it, drug and kill him, but hug and kiss him. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this, yeah, that's a good point. I did not catch that going back Very through. So it's like she became too general in her in her summary. Yeah. Of past Whoops. events. Well, I do think that that uh, Rowling stated that uh, she was terrible with math. Deal with it. <laughs> Which she is free to do. That's fair. That's that's absolutely fair. And I mean, th- I guess you, one could argue too that when Sirius sits Harry down and tells him, "I am your godfather," that it really yeah. reiterates the fact. And that happened to me. That event. That, and I assume that's what this whole summary even means, though, is that the event at the uh, Shrieking Shack happened. Two months ago. Yeah. Us math impaired gotta stick together. I'm not gonna go after you. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry brings up that he has received some posts from Sirius lately, and we find out that he got it. I completely forgot about this until I reread this chapter. Um, that he got one from a tropical bird, which <laughs> is just so great. Which, first question that brings me to is, where in the world is Sirius? And question two... If these tropical birds can send owls, what other flying animals can? Rolling, we gotta know. <laughs> Penguins. Penguins can't fly. Oh, but they can carry letters like nobody's business. Yeah. Penguins well, are my favorite animals. That Santa Claus is coming in town. He's gonna like carry it in a little satchel. Mm. Well, penguins. could every magical animal carry a letter? Uh, like a, a, a leprechaun, of course they could, but uh, you know, just not not just owls, but all owls. Not just also uh, the cats and the rats. Could they carry letters for wizards if if the bird all birds can? Yeah, I guess it just makes we just sort of like instinctually go to flying animals since they have to go great distances. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. could you send it with a fish? Yeah. <laughs> That may be problematic to protect the letter. I guess you could put a like charm around the letter to keep P. it. Sherman, while we away, Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Nice. Good call. Um. What was the first question? Oh, where Sirius is? I mean, he seems to be kind of living the life. He's probably like in somewhere like Brazil or Caribbean or whatever. And then Harry's got to ruin it and bring him back to rainy England and. <sighs> Get Harry ruins everything. Can we can we just can we just go on a tirade here about how Harry ruins everybody's fun? Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I do think it is also interesting that when Harry is thinking about Sirius in a tropical place, he thinks that it's smart because Dementors mustn't like the sun and heat. Um, considering a lot of people are just happy on vacation. Whenever. But I mean, I get that Sirius wants to like go back to Harry and stuff. But I mean, he was perfectly safe over there. Could have started a whole new life. It's like Shawshank. Just I think he's. Beach. He could be in Fiji. He could be in Hawaii. He could be. Could be anywhere that's tropical. Um, but yeah. considering considering he does get back to England with a fair haste, I assume he's just in the Mediterranean somewhere. Uh, Regardless, life as an exile must be not not be too bad for Sirius right now. That's true. He's not chilled on a beach with his feet kicked up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay, so this chapter is pretty much wrapping up. But one thing um, Harry talks about toward the end of the chapter is how they have to be very vague in their um, correspondence. And because of the possibility of the owls being confiscated by the ministry or whoever else. And it made me wonder, surely by now, can't, can't the ministry develop a method to track the owl once they do apprehend it? Assuming, you know, they do actually catch these owls, which would maybe then lead them to the suspect. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about this before in the Armada of Owls episode. Have we? Yeah, because Noah, wasn't Noah who said, like, just, like, send the letter and, like, a whole Armada of Owls and just see where the whole owls go, all the owls go. Yeah, it would be easy for Voldemort to find Harry, just send him a postcard. Hey, what's up? Still gonna kill you. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it's still it's a valid discussion still because we see this come up a lot of um, yeah. stuff like that. And I just say real quickly in Harry's letter, like, it makes me, it I, it always weirded me out when, like, um, Rowling wrote about very, like, specific muggle things where she's like, like, Deadly Throat is PlayStation and 
it just makes me think of how after he had just been describing like Quidditch and all of his like fun stuff that he has and then he just throws in the PlayStation and was like god my life is so boring because I have a PlayStation and not Quidditch and everything like that uh, I think the wonderful thing about this is that uh, in 1994 the PlayStation did not exist <laughs> uh, or that is it was just introduced in Japan I did some research on this but yeah. not in Britain and no matter what, I doubt that Mega Molitation, the game he plays, would have got a part three uh, <laughs> during the months. Oh, it, well, it I'm sure that release. that game has to be just a generic made-up game that put that shows Dudley's character. Well, he's yeah, saying yeah. the fact that it's it's on its third third sequel. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes uh, sense too. Well, look, I never subscribed to the whole time thing that Book Four is '94, something, something's '93. So I and I I don't know that J.K. Rowling really ever wrote it with those years in mind, but well, well, can, wouldn't she have? I mean, Harry was the... born in a specific year. It would have yeah, to. no, but I think I, I get what you're, he's he's saying. Like I've always felt at least somewhat similar to, similarly to that too, Eric. So I, I think even though there are like straight facts, like it's Nicholas uh, Neely Hillis Nick's 500 Death Day Party in 1492s when he died. I've never really felt that the again with J.K. Rowling in math, you know, I've, I've yeah. never felt that we should ever hold her to specifically those years. Um, well, I, I but, think but, she said but, in an interview that the, the years were nineteen one to ninety eight, uh, the series. Yeah, I mean, I, I so this is, I mean, this is a mistake. You're right, um, but she was, I mean, she was writing it at a time when there was PlayStation, and just didn't think about it. You know, the yeah. fact that when the story was set, there wasn't a PlayStation. So it is one of those little little, little, mis- little mistakes. Yep. And that pretty much brings the chapter to an end, because after he sends off the letter, um, he heads down to breakfast to taste <laughs> the day. Taste the day. Then s- stuff starts to get good. Yeah. Short chapter, guys. It was, yeah. Was it like 10 pages? Yeah, it was, yep. Wow. Well, would you? What if? What if the um the first chapter of like the Riddle House like didn't really exist, and this had been the first chapter, and it just kind of was vague. I mean, obviously, the whole chapter is surrounding the dream that he has, so that would have been impossible. But you get what I'm trying to say. I mean, I think it would have been just similar to the first three books, where it starts with Harry and um at the Dursleys. So I think that was like an intentional choice by Joe to make it change that like that darker approach well the first time i read the books it was without the first chapter actually because i was so young i wasn't allowed to read the first chapter it was too scary whoa Uh, i was like four years old so my my father read them aloud for me and my brother so i never really understood uh, the the whole thing about what he refers to throughout the chapter huh that's interesting this was the this the first Riddle House chapter was the only chapter I ever listened to in the audiobooks. Um, I remember renting it for my library on cassette, and I got through that. But then I had mentioned on the show before I was disappointed because I thought I was going to hear all the actors like speaking. So because <laughs> I was just <laughs> young and stupid. But uh, yeah, so as soon as it was like not the actors, I was like, "This is dumb." And I stopped. Yeah, I think but... this this <laughs> chapter this chapter is tied to the previous chapter. Um, they are like two parts of a whole. Uh, mm-hmm. For sure, I, I don't see. I can't see the book starting with just this chapter. You're right. Uh, also, an inter- interesting thing is that Harry actually knows about uh, that. It, that it is Voldemort who killed both the Jorkins. Uh, the, the name is mentioned, but he does not remember, even though right. uh, she's referred mm. to th- throughout the book. Yeah, it's 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 weird how J.K. Rowling does that, where the name is. He's like got slight slight amnesia. In all the most yeah. important places, you know, where it's like when I think it's the ministry officials who bring it up first uh, yeah. in front of him, you know, Bertha Jorkins, this Bertha Jorkins, that he's like, oh, that name sounds familiar. But he can't be like, I know that Voldemort murdered her. You know, you should, you should look into your security. He doesn't ever say that because it's like on the like in the back of his mind. It's really fun and upsetting. Well, even though we had a a short chapter, I did manage to come up with a podcast question of the week. I know you were all worried that there wouldn't be one. I'm very glad you pulled through on it. Thank you. Um, 
So my question for this week, and this is a quote from the book, so I'm going to read the quote first. Um, this is when he's deciding on who to write to. Harry kneaded his forehead with his knuckles. What he really wanted, and it felt almost shameful to admit it to himself, was someone like, someone like a parent. An adult wizard whose advice he could easily ask without feeling stupid. Someone who cared about him, who had experience with dark magic. And then the solution came to him. It was so simple, so obvious, that he couldn't believe it had taken so long. Serious! My question is, why not Lupin? Why does not why does Harry not write Lupin? Lupin was a defense against the dark arts teacher the previous year, and he clearly cares for Harry. Just like Sirius does, but so does Lupin. And he has just as much claim to care about Harry as Sirius because they were all friends of James. So I I guess I just don't know why Lupin isn't mm-hmm. even considered here. And also would my follow-up question would writing Lupin have produced a better result or wouldn't writing both of them have helped the most? That is such an excellent question. I am so excited to hear these responses. Yeah, definitely. I have so many things I want to say, but I shall. Yeah, I have a a good idea. I have, yeah, I have an opinion that sparked, but of course I'll wait. I mean, do you guys just feel like, I do want to probe you guys a little bit. Do you feel like it's just because it was family that he's keeping it with it? Like when he thinks of parent, he thinks of godfather. Instead of in a, no random guy, in a way, but I think it it it, ex, it exposes something more about Harry's personality and character. I, I think it says something about uh, writing techniques because if he had considered Lupin, he would would have written to Lupin straight away and not serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and he has to come up with Lupin after serious, or he has to come up with serious and write to him because. That's obviously what Rowling wanted. Uh, he wanted uh, that it was written to Sirius. And had he had come up with Lupin first, he would, a natural reaction, have written to him first. I don't think she would be able to come up with a reason for uh, not, ri- not to write to him. Hmm. So that's interesting. So you think that Lupin's a clear choice here. Yeah. Um, for which I would agree, in a way, because he's the actual Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher from the previous year. And he would probably know more about scars hurting than even that book that Hermione suggested in Harry's mind. Um, so yeah, very interesting that Lupin was left out. Do send us your thoughts. We'll be posting the podcast question of the week up on the main page of the Alohomora website. We look forward to hearing your responses. Yeah, totally. Um, so we want to thank Frederick for joining us this week. Um, it was really great to have you. Thanks for coming on board. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Yeah, and to find out how you can be on the show, head over to our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com, or email us at alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review so we can read your thoughts. And if uh, you'd like to contact us in different ways, you can always follow us on Twitter at alohomoramn or Facebook at facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. And uh, we didn't have any voicemails this week, but we always check them. So you can call 206-GO-ALBUS, which is 206-462-5287 if you want to hear your voice played on the show. The Alohomora store is a thing. We have tote bags. We have t-shirts. They are designed by us based on moments of the show and meant for you. Please check out the Alohomora store. You will find one that you really, really, really like. I am sure of it. We have new designs too, so. And now with new design, and now with new Dumbledore Hayton designs. Oh my god, (laughs) I cannot. I really need to buy mine so I can wear it to Leaky in London because I want to show off my team. (laughs) Frederick, if you which which Dumbledore would you choose? Well, I think that uh, as the series got darker. I would say that it is a good thing that Dumbledore became a darker person because the Harris mm. Dumbledore is indeed the one described in book 1 to 2 and the Gambon Dumbledore in book uh, 3 to 7. So even though it has a sad background story, I actually think that the portrayal of Dumbledore in the different movies were as they were described in the books, except that scene in Goblet of Fire. <laughs> I would agree 100%. <laughs> I, would say, I would say that uh, I really felt when watching the films that Gammon got it right in movie six. 
not sooner, not a single second sooner. I, but a movie in movie six, I thought was excellent. And then not after that, <laughs> like just six. I mean, he was dead, it. so yeah. Ooh, ooh, tough, tough. Whoops. No, but um, anyway, those those shirts are over over and available, and you can also get them in tote bags over at the Alohomora store. So check that out via our website. Yes. And also make sure you snag our smartphone app. It is available in the U.S. and U.K. for both the iPhone. Um, so for the iPhone and iPad and also the Android and Kindle, it's $1.99 in the U.S. and $1.29 in the U.K. And also, just now hot off the press, it is now available for Windows 8 phone users. So you guys can join in the fun and get our app. Same price um, for the U.S. because it is currently only available in the U.S., so that's $1.99. And you can get things on our app such as transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and much more. You should check out our we uh, LeakyCon, uh, me, Kat, and Caleb recorded a video of us doing a spell off. Oh my god! can name most spells. It's it has takes a frightening turn. So <laughs> I can't imagine why. I can't imagine who caused that. <laughs> so um, uh, be sure to check that out for the hilarity. Definitely. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for joining us for um, this week's episode. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Laura Riley. I'm Eric Skull. Thank you for listening to episode 39 of Love Amore. Open the Dumbledore. You're good at that. Beautifully done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.